Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Active listening goes a long way. So paying attention, listening not just to what people say, but then finding out what they actually mean, and then answering them goes a long way when you're dealing with potentially sticky conversations. Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut in life or in a dead-end job with no progression? I'm Jerry Dugan, and welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that offers you the motivation, inspiration, and practical tools to help you build a life worth living. My show is here to help you break free from your limitations and find a path to success. Join me as I share encouraging stories and actionable advice on how to get out of your rut in life and create a vision for your future. Life is just too short to live stuck in a rut. Here we go. Hey, Rudder Nation, this is Jerry. And in this episode, we're going to be joined by Jeremy Doran. He's a mechanical engineer by trade and training, and he learned psychology so that he could become a better engineering leader. Today, he helps coach other engineers who've become leaders because the skill sets that made you successful in engineering may not be the skill sets that are going to make you successful as a leader of people. So we're going to cover some concepts like brainstorming, looking at perspectives other than your own, and then the power of delegation. It's basically like talking to me, but hearing his voice, because this is something I'm passionate about when it comes to leadership. So if you're a leader and you feel stuck in a rut with your team in your leadership career, this is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, grab a notebook and a pen. Here we go. All right. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for calling in from Rhode Island. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad that we met. Uh, we connected through a platform called Podmatch. Uh, so just quick shout out to Alex Sanfilippo and Alicia. Now, the cool thing about your background, uh, you, I, I, if I understand correctly, the earlier part of your career is as a mechanical engineer. Yep. So I went to school for, yeah, I went to school for mechanical engineering and psychology. And uh, that got me some interviews out of school just because people were curious of who would do that combination right. of things. Because, <laughs> um, you know, engineering wasn't hard enough. I right? went from, en- right. And then I went from engineering into sales and then into, uh, you know, coaching and, and leadership. Nice. Now, the psychology part, how would you say that paid off? Because I, from what I understand, engineers typically are very logical, very process-driven, very mathematically driven. And you know, the EQ side of things tends to be lower, or at least perceived to be lower. How did studying psychology help offset that, do you think? It, it's interesting. I actually do a lot of leadership coaching for engineers who have been promoted into management roles. And that is a very large issue. So A, they tend to be much more data and logic based. And when they're dealing with people on either emotional topics or, you know, with people who are more emotional, they really need some coaching on, on how to deal with that. And they also are, tend to be very detail oriented and not everyone wants all the details. So I have to coach them through, you know, how to interact with people with where the other person is. Yes. Uh, it's a big surprise that like the higher you go in the leadership ranks, uh, the less detailed you've got to be. I mean, you got to know the details. You got to understand that the details have 
to happen. Uh, but the communication style shifts more towards like vision and intent. And this is the direction I want to go. All of you help us get there. And, and so it's like you're, you're asking them to do all the details. And, and uh, I've worked in healthcare uh, in terms of I was a medic in the Army before, but more on the, you know, similar to what you do uh, in the coaching consulting side for leaders. And it's helping like nurses who transition from being a nurse to being a nurse leader that, you know, it's a different set of skills. It's similar to engineers going into engineering yep. leadership. It's a different set of skills to be a leader. Like you, but you got noticed because of your technical skills. You know your job. You know how to build things. You know how to make things work. Same with nurses. They know how to save lives following protocol and standard operating procedures and certain rules you never ever bend or break, uh, then you get into leadership and you have to deal with things like emotions and relationships. And you'd love to just slap a standard operating procedure onto those things, but it doesn't quite work. It's kind of like the Matrix trilogy in a sense, right? You know, they, they need people for batteries. Sorry, guys, you had plenty of time to see the trilogy if you're thinking spoiler alert. Um, but the reality was like there needed to be some chaos and, and so leaders got to be able to navigate that. And, uh, it, and so, yeah, <laughs> Jeremy, it sounds like you've got the fun it, pleasure of helping engineers navigate the messiness of people and relationships. Um, well, that transition's tough for everyone. Yes. So not just engineers, but everyone got promoted to be a manager because they were good at the thing that they did. And then they're normally left to their own devices to figure out how to be a good manager, never mind a good leader. And yes. I just the challenge is a little bit higher for engineers than it is for other people as well. Yeah. I mean, because if things break, we come looking for you. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is broken. Who designed this thing? <laughs> <laughs> now, you also wrote a book called The Little Kids, uh, and it's about like their perspective on how they see the world. Uh, tell us a bit more about how that book came to be and what it's about and why people should pick up a copy. I'm the youngest of 10 kids. Oh, wow. And that's probably that's probably the reason why I got into psychology, because it, it was such a fascinating uh, group to observe. Um, <laughs> and and I would tell people stories about it. And every time I told them, they said, oh, you should write a book about that. And I kind of dismissed it. And then when I was doing coaching, I realized that talking about interpersonal communication, I was using examples of my story much more than I was using examples from the workplace. And I said, you know what? This is These are valuable lessons. I really should write this book. So my sister and I got together and, and we put it down on paper. And so there's 13 stories. And then at the end of each one, we come into the present day and say how it how it affects us now and and what lessons we learn from it. Wow. I love that. I love that. Um, and, and I love that you're able to actually draw the lessons out into somebody's career, too. It's like, yeah, this is a story that, you know, I experienced as a child. However, this is the lesson I picked up from it. Here's that connecting of the dot to your career, your business. Um, and, and we learn from stories, right? It's I think that's the big, powerful piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are what draw people in and the lesson just kind of gets snuck on the end of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I've come across like some audiences where you always have that one guy that doesn't want the story uh, and doesn't see the value in it. But for me, the value comes in with it gives context because people can relate to you. They can relate to the story. And then the concepts are kind of like the Trojan horse in a way that I don't know why I used a virus 
analogy there. But it's, <laughs> it is how the, the message kind of sinks in. Like that concept now makes more sense because I have all these other contextual connection points with things that already make sense to me. Um, I love right. that. Uh, now, when you and I connected, you. uh, one of the things that you'd mentioned was the idea of brainstorming. Um, and I guess more specifically, like, you know, for me, like brainstorming is I've got a project. Where do I even start? Uh, and so is that the kind of brainstorming you, you were talking about, or is there a different application that you had in mind? Well, I was inspired by the name of the podcast, Beyond the Rut. And when people are trying to think of new things or make decisions, they very often get in the rut. And the value of brainstorming is having a bunch of people in a room and you can't say no to any ideas because they're going to come up with something you never thought of. And that might not be the right idea, but it'll trigger the thought that the next thought might be the right idea. But not everybody has the ability to get seven people in a room and do brainstorming. So what I'll do with people is I will make them brainstorm all by themselves. So if they're thinking of a project or problem, for instance, if they're trying to figure out which product they should launch next, I have them look at it from six different people's perspectives. So I have them put a stake in the ground. I say, what if the only thing you cared about was profit per unit? What would that look like? And then they go through that and I, I make them come up with six. They can usually come up with three different perspectives pretty, pretty easily. If they need to get six, it, that is another way of forcing them to think outside of the box. So what if it's only profit per unit? What if it's total profit? What if it's only sales volume? What if the driving factor is what product is the most fun for you to talk about? It doesn't matter what the six things are. If you look at it from six different assumptions, you come up with a whole bunch of ideas you wouldn't if you were just stuck in the rut that you were originally in. Yeah. And besides the finance, like the the bean counter, the accounting, the CFO perspective, what would you say are some other... Uh, if we're talking about a business specifically and maybe a product or service, uh, who are some other perspectives that we should keep in mind if we're going to go through that process? Uh, well, ease of uh, manufacture or delivery, depending on what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the fun one is actually more important than people think because that's what keeps you inspired to be doing it. So if you're proud of making a certain product and another one, you kind of have to flinch every time you talk about it. That's a big factor. So okay. ease of service, you know, fun to talk about, profit, sales. Um, again, if you have to come up with six, then you start thinking about things in very unique ways. Tell me more about the fun side of it, because I, I could think in my own head, I'm like, but if the fun part isn't as profitable as this other idea that I'm like, eh, um, how do I work through my own mindset to, to recognize that's the fun one. That's the one I really love. Like, and, and they make that decision to go there. Well, you know, once again, having six perspectives, it's not that any one of the perspectives is going to get you to the right answer. It just triggers extra thought. So if you go through and you figure out which one's the most fun for you or the one that you're the most proud that you're going to be doing, and then you look at it five other ways and you see what's the most, you know, efficient or what's the most profitable, then sometimes you're going to come up with a brand new solution that that wasn't in any one of those perspectives, but the collaboration of all those thoughts gets you to the new thing that can be fun and profitable and make you proud and makes the world a better place. Nice. And that's the 
power of different perspectives too. So, I mean, in this case, you're doing it by yourself and you're putting yourself in other people's shoes in a sense is what I'm, I'm gathering. You're, you're trying to see it from mm-hmm. the CFO perspective, the manufacturing perspective, the, maybe the marketing perspective, the, the customer's perspective and, and your own. Like, why is this better for you as opposed to what you were doing already? I love that. Uh, yeah. What's the kind of, what's kind of at stake if we don't want to consider other perspectives? You just you go down one lane and uh, you're not going to come up with the best solution. So that the value of brainstorming, again, is is it triggers things that you never would have thought of on your own. And usually it turns basically a negotiation into a collaboration. If you are just kind of on one track, then you're picking one or the other. And that's what a negotiation is basically. You don't get the best solution. You get the thing that's palatable to everyone. When you collaborate, you come up with a whole new thing that is usually a much better solution in multiple different ways. Yeah. I can see people getting excited about that new thing. Uh, and it doesn't have to be big either, I don't think. It's just that, that new twist or that new approach to a problem that's been around for a long time, whatever that problem may be. You know, it's that, that one little shift. It's like, oh, I see it now. I get it. Uh, and I love that. Yeah. It's normally just that little tweak that really sets things off. Yeah. Uh, how much does like personality types tie into that, you know, as far as brainstorming goes and getting a diversity of thought? Uh, you know, I'm Big not exactly questions. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll pick how I want to answer it. How's that? Yeah, go for it. That, that, was, that was my aim. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that can happen is some people like to talk. And they like to share their ideas and they are competitive and they want to push for their ideas. And when you get that combination of a person in a room with someone who might be shy, might be quiet, might not be competitive, it's hard to get that person's ideas. So when you're in a group like that, you really need to pay attention and make sure that everyone is able to contribute equally. So that normally requires structure set up ahead of time. Because if you just all of a sudden start cutting someone off and asking someone else their opinion, it doesn't go well. But if you set up the structure ahead of time, everyone knows that everyone's going to contribute, then that normally works out a lot better. Nice. That sounds like a very engineering approach too. that, that methodical boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Everybody's had a turn. You will have yeah. a turn. <laughs> be prepared. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. My approach tends to be more of like, uh, I hate to call it this, but it is what I call it, like controlled chaos. So I let the, the person who mm-hmm. is more outspoken and externally thinking, I give them kind of free reign for a while. And then I start to recognize, all right, who has not right. spoken uh, during this time? And so- the group may not know that I've got time selected in the agenda, but I know it's there. And that's to now give the floor to a specific person. So I might like if, if you, Jeremy, are quiet at the table and uh, my doppelganger, you know, Jerry, well, I guess that's my name. But anyway, uh, Steve, there we go. We'll say my somebody thought my name was Steve at one point. So I'm rolling with that. Uh, but Steve is dominating the com conversation uh as a facilitator it's up to me as the leader of the uh, the meeting to say hey steve thanks so much for all those ideas i'd like to hear from jeremy now um you know jeremy what is your thought on this and then just get quiet um and if steve wants to chime in again hey i I love that i love your enthusiasm i really want to hear from jeremy It's, it's just like giving that floor to jeremy and inviting jeremy into the conversation um i might be applying disc here you know i'm thinking 
somebody who's an S, uh, a steadiness, is going to defer to the group and needs to be invited into the conversation. And, and so that's uh, just hearing your response made me think about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, there are people who just they need to be invited. Um and then some folks need to have that structure. You know, it's like, because uh, I get that complaint, like, oh, it's just like total chaos until you rein it in, Jerry. It's like, no, I, the, the plan was internal. But I guess if you communicate the plan ahead of time, for those who are more detailed and structured, they're more at ease. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's funny. We, we just come at it from different angles because I like the structure, which then allows me to break from the structure and allow some chaos in. You start with the chaos and then you put the structure on top of that. So we leave room for both. You know, there's there's the structure and then there's the chaos. Right. Um, so you out there leading your own meetings, that is something to keep in mind. Um, now, how often does like personality types also impact communication style? Often. I have so many great examples from growing up. And <laughs> as I said, I use them. I We do a, uh, when I'm doing coaching, we do a, a personality assessment. And there's 10 different dimensions that we measure people on. And one is kind of how black and white you see the world. Some people, you know, things are right, wrong, black, white. And then other people on the end, other end of the spectrum, everything kind of depends. And there's, you know, different reasons and different groups of people who tend to be one way or the other. But, oh boy, those conversations can be painful to watch. The people who are black and white think that, the people on the other end of the spectrum are wishy-washy and have no moral compass, maybe. And the people who are more everything depends, it's situational, think that the black and white people are very judgmental. And the conversations between the two can really be problematic. But what's more interesting, I find, is that two different people who are both the black and white type, that conversation can be even worse. Really? I've got two brothers. Yeah, I've got two brothers, and they are both black and white people. They don't have opinions on anything. They know everything they know as a fact. Problem is that the facts they know are completely opposite. So when they're having discussions, it can be a challenge. Wow. And do they ever seem to... I guess they would have a harder time to to make those shifts and adjustments and find compromises or find like, you know, for each of them... You know, it's that duality thinking. It's either this or this. And it sounds like the third option or fourth option escapes them because of that limitation. I think I just gave yeah, away which end of the they... spectrum I'm on to. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone does... else, yeah. everyone in my family is also really, really competitive. Oof. And if you're in a, if you're in a team meeting and you've got some really competitive people in the room, the way you structure that meeting or the the way you present ideas is different than the way you'd present it to people who more want the, the whole team to go well. Mm -hmm. If you've got a, a really competitive person, sometimes if you're not careful, you can say your idea. And if they have a different idea, then all of a sudden they're viewing that as a competition. And you're never going to bring them around at that point because now they're just digging in their heels. And if you can you know, negotiate the conversation in a way that you come up with the idea together, it's much more likely to uh, go forward in a orderly and team way. Right. Uh, I've, I've run into that in my own career as well, where, uh, you know, somebody who is competitive, maybe also black and white and how they see the world, um, it becomes my idea versus their idea. And it's like, 
my idea could probably support your idea or some, again, third option. Uh, there's always a third option, in my opinion. Uh, there, there could be something that's just much more palatable for everybody and, and useful to everybody. And uh, it, it's, I guess for me on a professional level, I always struggle with how do I approach that person so that they feel comfortable enough that it's not a competition, that they have skin in the game, um, and that what we really need for the greater good is to come together and create something. Um, but I think that you, you kind of hinted at it where if, if you can structure the conversation in a way that they're also a part of creating that new idea, that's how you get there. Uh, what are some of the things that you could say to help that person come along, I think is kind of what I'm fishing for, the scripting. Oh, <laughs> is so there once, like once, a once the competition's in place, it's you. You almost just have to remind them and just step back for a minute. And if it's in a group meeting, you might need to do it separately. You may need to step out of the room um, because you know you, they have to say face in front of everyone because yes. they want to. They want to have won that. But if you just step out and say, "Hey, here's our our goal is to blah blah blah." And just start rephrasing things as our goal and what we want to accomplish. And remind them it's not a competition. It's, you know, trying to get the best solution. Yeah. So it'd be a great time to like call for a break while everybody's out of the room. Or yes. you, you go into a separate room with that person and have that conversation. And and uh, hopefully, they you know, during the break, it was enough time for them to, to come around and say, okay, yeah, we got this. We got this. So, uh, yeah, I, I know on... I'm, I mean, I'm certified in disc, so I, my brain just goes to that first because it's what I cut my teeth on. Uh, yeah. One of the quadrants, though, they are just like that. You know, they, they, they are driven by achievement. They're driven by getting things done, by winning. And so one of the things they fear is looking weak. And the other thing they fear is not getting things done on time. And so. Yeah, for them, it's the same thing. It's in terms of you got to give them a chance to get on board, uh, to shift gears from what they were thinking and, and do it in a way that they can save face, you know, not look weak. And, and so yeah, calling for a break, having that personal conversation, I think goes a long way for doing that. Um, and you know, sometimes I will, I will just concede. I'll say, you've got a great idea. Let's roll with that. And then it's disarm them a bit where then we can start talking about how to tweak it and make it even better. Nice. So you're letting them have the win and then also getting to achieve, you know, what might be a slightly better solution. Yeah. Yeah. You start adding those parameters. Like these are the things we have to have to deliver on that kind of thing. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's, it's interesting because when we're in the same field, so like I'm like, oh, I know how this works. I know how this works. I'm like, okay, but I gotta ask like the questions as if I have no clue or how. I mean, my approach would be different, and and you know my approach would be different. But uh, I love that we're talking about this because you know for those of you you know listening in on this conversation, you, you probably are stuck on a project at work, or you're stuck on a career decision, or you know maybe you want to start a business, whatever it is. Um, you know the two things we've talked about so far. Uh, you know, brainstorming, you know, and, and typically in a brainstorming session, you're involving different people, different personality types. Um, and then how do you have a brainstorming session if it's just you and, you know, you want to put yourself in the shoes of other people, people who are not like you, because the people who are like you are probably going to say the same thing. Right. Um, and then we started talking about the impact of different communication styles. And if you're not aware of it, 
you know, how you can just keep butting heads and not get anywhere. But the moment you realize somebody's communication style is different than yours, somebody's seeing things as black and white, where you might see it as a broader spectrum of possibilities, how do you bridge that gap? How do you extend an olive branch? How do you let the other person save face? All good things. Um, I guess from there, I, Pinnacle performance, you know, you've, you've been doing that for a while, helping engineering leaders make that transition from, um, being an engineer to being a leader. Um, how do you kind of guide them through their first hundred days? Like what the, the mindset shifts and all that stuff. Um, I'm not always getting them right as they start. Yeah. So it's not always <laughs> the first hundred days. Um, we do spaced coaching. So we'll do it ideally once a week over the course of nine to 12 weeks that they can work on what they've learned, implement it, and then, you know, refine it and then start learning new things. But I always start with time management and a big part of time management is prioritizing what the most important things you can get done are. And that is a huge transition when you're used to the most important thing you can do is to achieve a task moving that to the most important thing you can do is help someone on your team achieve their task. It's a really difficult mindset for people to to change. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, Back to the show. I'm glad you, you brought that up because um, I see that topic coming up a lot. And, you know, in my career and also as I started my own business, people ask about time management. And I hear people I look up to talk about time management. I'm like, is that really a big need? And it's like hearing you talk about it. It's <laughs> oh, like, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friend Tom Schwab, he's always saying, you know, what is normal for you could be new to somebody else. And so you just kind of point out something I take for granted is uh, and my wife always asks, like, how do you get things done? I'm like, I don't know. I just do. It's maybe it's the ADHD. I don't know. Uh, but the prioritization, it's like, okay, I, I think because I think in terms of vision and, you know, no matter what, this is the end goal. The plan might change on the way. Uh, we might get delays. We might get advantages and speed up things. Uh, but I know what the end result or the the outcome ultimately should be. And you know that I guess as a leader, my role is empowering others. You know, it's delegating. Mm -hmm. You know, not just so I can go on vacation. That's always good. Uh, but delegating is just such a great way to develop your team. Um, Yes. And it was taught to me at a, at a young age, a young age. Well, I, I was in my 20s. Um, in, in the military, they they impress upon leaders that you need your team to know what you do and what the plan is. Right. And they need to be equipped to go carry on without you. And you're like, why do they need to go and be able to carry on without me? I'm the leader. And it's that dark realization that, you know, the army goes to war. You might be the first one to go. Mm. I was like... Oh, that sucks. 
<laughs> and they're like, yeah, and we're going to judge your leadership based on what your team does after you're dead. And we're like, oh, that really sucks. <laughs> so the memory of me could be immortalized in a Stephen Ambrose book. Well, he was already gone by then. But, you know, like, if I'm inept, that gets recorded. They're like, yes. I'm like, we can't have that. And so you start delegating to make sure your team, like, you start quizzing people. You're like, all right, Morales, if I die. What needs to get done today? What's the mission? And, and he's got to tell me everything. Boom, boom, boom. All right, Smitty, if this happens, let's say Morales goes, you're the next in line. What is the thing we're doing? And, and all of a sudden, they, they got to be able to do it. And uh, I don't know if that helps you or not. I, I just, I love the power of delegation. I think it's because I saw something on your website about, you know, when's the last time you as a leader were able to take a vacation? And I think right. delegation is so huge. Uh, yeah, what, I think. Yeah, go ahead. That every leader or manager their their goal should be to make themselves obsolete and if you can do that the way to get there is through delegation because delegation saves your time but it's also the way that you you train others and get them learning the uh the best thing that i started doing when i was new to being a manager i was swamped and people kept coming to me with questions and i kept answering them and then I realized one day I, I can't survive this. So I started asking, what would you do if I wasn't here? They didn't like that. Mm -mm. And they said, well, I'll call you. Nope, you can't call me. I'm not here. So eventually it got to where they would come to me and they would always have at least a suggestion of what they would do. And then it got to the point where they would just come to me and say, here's what happened. Here's what I did. Here's how it went. Great. So it's not nearly as dramatic as being in the military and you're dead. How's your team doing? <laughs> right. But it was the way that I got there. Different paths, but we yes. got to the same place. And I love the end result of that because, um, yeah. How, how do people feel when they know that you trust them to make a decision? Scared. So yeah. in the beginning, they're scared. And that's why I, I would do it slowly. In the beginning, I, I asked them what they would do. They come up with an idea if it's anywhere close to what I would do, I'd say, great, run with it and report back to me by the end of the day on how it went. So you're giving them a little bit of leash. And then as it starts working more and more often, the leash gets longer and longer. Yeah. And then eventually there's no leash at all. It's just sort of like, hey, report back to me. What's going on? Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, and, I, and I love that. Yeah. And um, I, I think for leaders, though, there tends to be that problem of, of letting go. What do you think? holds us back from delegating in the first place. Oh, it's funny because I bring up delegation and there's always someone in the room who says, I tried that once. It doesn't work. I'll never do it again. <laughs> so I'll ask them how the process was and, and they quickly find out that it was the process, not actual delegating. But they all believe the people who really struggle with it, no one can do this thing as well as I can, or no one will care about it as much as I can. Or the third big one is it's faster if I just do it myself. And for that one, I always say, maybe this first time, but is this something that you do over and over? You may be investing time now. It's going to end up saving you a lot of time down the road. And, you know, they may not be able to do it as well as you can now, but whoever taught you was able to do it better than you were at that point. And now you're the expert on it. So you got to pass that forward. Yes. And, and I love that because, um, you know, whether it's your career or whether it's your life, your legacy is really what you, you did to impact others and how you helped other people grow and feel and, and all those things. And, you know, just 
it, it just it always touches my heart when an employee that worked with me before comes out of the blue and just says, hey, Jerry, I want to let you know this is where I am in my career right now. And there's something that I apply every single day that you taught me or you trusted me with. And um, I just want to thank you for having that trust when I was you know, brand new in my career or halfway through and striving to move up. Uh, you gave me a chance. And I'm thinking, I just didn't want to read seven books and design a coaching model. And you took that on. And <laughs> yes, you've got that to your name now. Or I wanted to go to Disney World for a week and a half. And the only way I could do that was knowing that my team could do what needed to be done for a week and a half without having to call me during my time off. And so then you start thinking ahead, like, all right, I want to go on another Disney trip, maybe two weeks this time. What does my team need to know now so that they're ready by then? And it just, it snowballs from there. And it's funny, like the more time I take off, the more rested I am when I come back, the more ideas I have. And the team comes back and they're just like, they're excited, not just to have me back, but the things they accomplished while I was gone and to celebrate those wins with them is always um, a great thing for me. And uh, so as, as we're wrapping up in our, gosh, that time flew by, dude. I don't know if <laughs> I just called you dude. Sorry, Jeremy. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it's Eric. <laughs> Gave away. I'm from California originally. Uh, so <laughs> you have uh, pinnacle-performance.com as your website. Uh, I love your tagline that you've been helping um, organizations and leaders. Uh, reach Pinnacle Performance since 1998. Uh, so, folks, you need to check out his website, pinnacle-performance.com. Um, is there anything I missed as far as how people can reach out to you, what they should reach out to you uh, for? Like, how can you help leaders out there and why should they reach out to you? Well, that website's a good one. If you want to learn more about the book, it's thelittlekids.us. And we're putting some blogs and things on there just to give extra perspective. Um, you can reach out to me on either one. I'd be happy to talk. Awesome. And before we go, any final words of wisdom for those engineering, uh, engineers becoming leaders or even those nurses, since I brought them up, anybody transitioning into a leadership role, any final words of wisdom? Uh, it's nothing new, but active listening goes a long way. So paying attention, listening, not just to what people say, but then finding out what they actually mean and then answering them goes a long way when you're dealing with potentially sticky conversations. Awesome. Jeremy, it was great to have you on here, uh, to have a colleague. Uh, and uh, thanks for letting me not only have you share your knowledge with my audience, but also let me pick your brain. So that's kind of a little bit of what happened here as well. So thank you, Jeremy. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Man, Rudder Nation, I hope you got a lot of nuggets of knowledge from Jeremy in that conversation because we covered a lot of ground. Brainstorming to get different perspectives of the people on your team. If you're brainstorming by yourself, putting yourself in the shoes of different people so that you're thinking from different perspectives as well. Great thing to apply when you're thinking of solutions to a problem. And then we also talked about different personality types. I, I kind of dabbled a little bit with DISC. There are different assessments out there, different models out there. I like DISC because it's something I can use quick and easy, down and dirty in the moment. And then don't overlook the power of delegation. And if you have any sort of leeriness to delegating responsibilities to others, that's something for you to explore because you're missing out. If you think you've got to do it all yourself, one, you're putting too much stuff on your plate, making yourself a martyr that nobody cares about. 
it's probably leading to turnover because people don't feel engaged. They don't feel like they're having growth opportunities. And I, I could talk about this for a lot. So delegate, learn how to do it. Take it from myself or Jeremy. You will be a better leader for learning how to delegate with clarity. That's all I've got for this episode. If you want to learn more, go to the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 364. There I'll link back to Jeremy's resources, related episodes of Beyond the Rut that talk about leadership. And I'll even link to my company, BTR Impact, if you want to learn more about how to stake out your leadership tent. Well, I'm glad you joined me this week, and I look forward to joining you again on the next episode. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.